special guest tonight is Ryan Grimm. He is a journalist and an author, and he's also the host of Counterpoints. Welcome, welcome, Ryan. Hey, hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking back and forth a lot on Twitter, and I figured it'd probably just be easier just to have a discussion. Sure. <laughs> uh, in reference to the railroad workers. Now, I did see this article that you published from The Intercept. Uh, this went into a lot, a lot of detail. It talked about the history of the railroad strikes uh, in this country. And there was one piece here I, I wanted to, to comment on. Now, this is the, the strategy portion here coming from Mance. And it says, I was like, we want these seven days paid sick leave. And they're like, okay, well, let's do something. And that's kind of where it began. Mance said it was just a last minute Hail Mary. It was pretty great how it all came together. He reached out to his national legislative team and told them about Bowman's plan. And I think that, number one, thanks for the article because this did explain a lot more. I think the piece here is where I push back and say, this is where I wanted Jamal Bowman to explain to them that, listen, this is probably not going to pass in the Senate because, number one, we have a Joe Manchin. And I knew that Joe Manchin was not going to vote for the seven-day sick leave. And I'm not even in, I'm not even in D.C., but I felt like this is where there should have been pushback to give them some type of expectation in reference to, listen, this is probably not going to pass. And I wanted to get your take about that. Yeah. And th this is, uh, this is where I was hoping like the conversation would go that where people could understand what the different strategies were and then debate which strategy made more sense rather than trying to like figure out, uh, you know, who is, who's selling out and who's the scab and like, like trying to get to like, what is Bowman thinking? Cause like a lot of people are like, I, and I also, I understood immediately like you, that, that, why that one vote would make people think like, wow, Jamal Bowman's a scab. I didn't know he's a union breaker. Like that's so like, that's crazy. So then you're like, well, what, what's going on here? And so here's what's going. So that, so exactly. So now, you know, like what, what his office was thinking at that point. So from, from the perspective of the union workers, and I think this is kind of broadly speaking in Congress, a lot of these organizations that are trying to get stuff done through Congress, they don't mind losing votes if they think they're going to be close and if they think they're making progress. So I, I actually worked um, as a lobbyist for uh, medical marijuana back in uh, 20 years ago. When I, when I first got out of grad school and we used to every year um, have this vote called Hinchy Rohrbacher, which uh, it was an amendment to, I think like the DEA's like appropriation bill or something. And it, it, and the, the amendment said, and it was a Republican and a Democrat, Dana Rohrbacher, who became a crazy like Trump guy. I don't know if you remember him from the Trump years. He, uh, interesting dude though. He like, he went to go visit Julian Assange. Um, and so he was, he was pro pot, like a really interesting, he's like a surfer, like total weird libertarian, interesting dude. Anyway, so he and a Democrat every year would do this, every two years would do this vote. And it would, it, what, it, what it would do is it would say the federal government can't spend any money enforcing drug laws, pot laws in states that have legalized medical marijuana. And every year they'd go back and they'd have this vote. And every, every year they or every cycle they would get. 20 more or 30 more 
And then they would have a list of the people that they lost and then they'd go back and they'd lobby them. Occasionally they would try to primary somebody. They didn't have a lot of money, we didn't, but you know, you, you make, you make an example out of one or two people. And then all of a sudden you get 50 more votes the next time. And then you get closer and closer. So organizations don't like, if they feel like they have momentum, like, and these railroad workers felt like at one point in November, they thought they had 10 to 11 Republicans. By the time the vote, the day of the vote came, they thought they had about seven. They ended up getting six. They need, if you lose Mansion, you basically need 11 in order to get to 60. So for them, their argument would be, Jamal, appreciate it. We're okay with losing in the Senate. If we, if we fight hard and we lose, we're okay with that because we, we want this fight. And we think we even have a shot at it. And we also want... If we can get six Republicans on, if you know, getting six Republicans on the record, then gives cover to Biden it, to do some executive action, because it's very hard for Republicans to say, you know, how dare Biden do this when Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, John Kennedy, etc. So that that would be the argument for why the rail workers would say, I, I get it that you don't think we can do this, but like we've been doing our lobbying campaign. Like that guy, Devin Mance, that you talked to, talked about mid-November, he and 25 other workers came straight from the tracks to Washington, D.C. and hit 107 offices and came out of it thinking, like we, thinking they had a shot. So that, so that would be the counter argument. But, but I understand if you want to say, look, or Bowman could say, look, have somebody else do it. Like, I don't want my, I don't want blood on my hands here. This seem this is too messy. Have somebody else do this. So you could also say that. I think that there's value in the left acting as a big block. Like with a big, a mass-based organization of a union driven by its rank and file, then kind of calling the shots and directing a progressive block in the house. Like that, that to me is really the ideal kind of political economy that we want to set up rather than a whole bunch of different individual actors who are, who are just kind of making their own decisions. That's not really a left, you know, that's a, that's a collection of well-meaning people who are just going to get rolled, but they'll make the right votes in the process of getting rolled. Well, I think also the problem is the fact that the squad, uh, well, at least those that are members of, of DSA, uh, they're Mm -hmm. not supposed to be against anyone, uh, going on a strike. And now I understand right. that the House already had the number of votes and it was going to pass anyway. Uh, but even to that point, then I would add, right. well, then all the more reason for you to vote against it, because they can't point to you and say, you guys prevented this contract from going through because they right. knew they already had the votes anyway. And like it Rashida also Tlaib looks, did, yeah. Exactly. I was going to yeah. say, it also looks bad if you have someone like Rashida Tlaib, but she knew the right thing to do when she did it. And it just kind of speaks volumes to the squads, what is their purpose at this point in time uh, in D.C.? And I think that's where for a lot of us, that's where Mm -hmm. the frustration uh, comes from. Um, Now, I'm not sure if you know, like how all of us at RBN, how we started. Uh, We were activists before we were podcasters. When I started this show, uh, before I joined RBN, I started off interviewing other activists like myself and progressive candidates. I moved away from interviewing progressive candidates because I just could not, I I couldn't chance disappointing people once again. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, 
all of those candidates that came on this show, I really did believe that they really want change. Uh, they really do have good intentions. But the problem that they run into once they get into D.C. is that they realize that those parties are both corporate. Uh, they're going to answer for their donors. And Cynthia McKinney explained this to me very well when she was on this show. She said that Maxine Waters told her back in the day, when Democrat leadership tells us to do something, Cynthia, we're going to do it. And then they're up against that. And mm -hmm. I think, I feel like if someone really wants to implement some type of political change, you have a better chance of doing it on the local level. I, mm -hmm. I lived in Ayanna Presley's district. She was more effective as a city councilor here in Boston than she is right now. Mm -hmm. And this is this is the thing that I'd like to point to, that they would have been better off on the local level. Corey Bush could do a lot more for her district at home. AOC could do a lot more for her district at home, where they don't have to butt heads up against people like Nancy Pelosi or now Hakeem Jeffries. Like, this is always going to be a struggle. And we just saw, and I want to share... Um, screen shared the article that you just sent to me because we just talked about this earlier tonight with Bernie Sanders. It's like, I don't care what Joe Biden told him to do. Bernie Sanders is supposed to push back against these corporate establishment Democrats. And here we see now he might even, he's, he's trying to cave to this. Like, mm -hmm. I don't understand why this is an argument to bring some type of resolution in Yemen, this shouldn't even be up for debate. And what we want is someone like Bernie and the squad members to push back like they're supposed to and stop caving in because they're afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Th th this was a real disappointment uh, coming, you know, coming from Bernie. And I, I think from what I was able to gather in the reporting leading up to this and the weeks leading up to this, he had, I don't think he uh, had done a lot of over the years, obviously, he's been very good on this issue. That nobody's nobody's questioning his his motivations. I don't think he did a lot of legwork in the last several weeks or the last several months, kind of rallying support for this among his colleagues. Uh, it, which which means like making sure that all the different senators are briefed on what the talking points are going to be from, let's say, the White House or from other opponents of this, so that when the talking points come, people are ready or getting people like Chris Murphy came out today saying he was with Bernie on this. Like if you get, if you get Chris Murphy a couple of weeks ago and, and Chris Murphy, who's a much more kind of moderate Democrat, he, and he chairs the subcommittee that oversees Yemen. So he's like got a lot of pull on this with his caucus. If it's Bernie and Murphy out there taking meetings, working with their colleagues, then when the white house comes at them, they might be able to withstand more pressure. And I don't have any evidence that he did that. Now, the other problem, Bernie's just one person. Um, you know, he was he's doing this. He was doing the sick day fight last week. Uh, the week before, he's spending his time fighting Joe Manchin's effort to get that dirty deal into the NDAA. Like it's a, this is a busy old man in the Senate. Uh, so, wh where does he find the time and the day to like do the things that I'm demanding you do? But yeah, you're like yeah, you're right. Like the 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 left does not have the kind of power um, I think that people would have hoped by now in Congress. And I, I made a point last time I was on uh, with your with your colleagues uh, that like I think a lot of people want like a Kashama Sawant. Yeah. I had I had said like they want a a non crazy version 
of of a Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody who like a non crazy, non racist, non psycho version of her, who's gonna because she'll like stand up to her leadership. She's like, you know, championing what her base wants, um, and that's not really for the most part like what this what the squad is or what what Bernie is at this point. But I, 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 question, I so yeah yeah I I, I question uh you know, their, their level of, of commitment here. And, and so I've spoken to Bree about this as well, is that I personally feel like they should be removed from DSA. It is not a good look for the organization. They have to come out and, and make apologies for the way that they have voted. Uh, meanwhile, you know, praise Rashida Tlaib for doing the right thing. And I just want to show you, these are a couple examples because I want people to understand it's, it's not just this one particular issue. Mm -hmm. These are DSA principles. When it comes to the workers, the right to strike for all workers. It doesn't say everyone except for the railroad workers. Uh, when it comes to issues uh, in, in foreign policy, stand in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle against apartheid, colonialism, and military occupation, and for equality, human rights, and self-determination, including boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, BDS. But yet we see they're not even support, with the exception, again, of Rashida Tlaib, who is Palestinian. They are not supporting the BDS movement. Maxwell I Frost think, originally was and then backed right. away. I think Omar, does Omar support BDS? I'm not sure. She she wavers. Like she goes, right. you know, she supports the idea, but not the specific. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, she she wavers. Build an anti-war movement that opposes U.S. intervention, including uh, uh, sanctions. They're not upholding these policies when it comes to policing, which is something those of us at RBN are very passionate about. Defund the police by rejecting any expansion to police budgets or scope of enforcement while cutting budgets annually towards uh, zero. They're funding the police. They're voting to fund them. Corey Bush doesn't even speak about defunding the police anymore. So for me, this, this is a big problem because, again, when people are looking at DSA, who do you think about? You think about people like AOC. They think about people like Corey Bush, uh, Jamal Bowman, uh, and, and they're not upholding those principles. So my thing is it makes the organization look bad because it makes it look like you guys aren't brave enough to say something to these politicians that are a part of this organization. They're not upholding the principles. The same can be said for Justice Democrats as well. I went over all the Justice Democrats' principles. They're not supposed to be voting to send money, uh, weapons to other countries for war. That is one of, one of the first principles of Justice Democrats, and they're doing it. Uh, they're supposed to come out in support of Edward Snowden. That is also a Justice Democrats uh, principle. I would add Julian Assange to that mm -hmm. list as well. Yet when you ask them these questions, Ryan, they can't even comment on it. It's an easy answer. Like, do you support Julian Assange being freed? Yes or no. Ilhan Omar is the only one I yeah. saw uh, say something about it. But it's just this is not what they were brought to D.C. to do. The assignment of Justice Democrats was to go in and to push back against the corporate Democrats, a hostile takeover of the party. I remember this all so well. Mm -hmm. They're not completing the assignment. But then they get angry when people like me criticize them. What else do they expect us to do 
We, we have no contact with them at all. We have mm -hmm. no access to them. They don't go on to independent media anymore for the most part, which is the only reason why I even knew that any of them were running. This is why mm -hmm. we say, when we say we, they sold out, this is what we're referring to. I, th I think it's accurate to say that there's been this really big split between the, the independent media, you know, mostly on YouTube, podcast podcasters but mostly youtube right i mean some and with with a twitter presence that like drives people you know back to them i think yeah it's it it, it is it is accurate to say there's been a, been been a uh a split since since 2020 maybe like 20 around you know probably coming out of the the sanders campaign um and and with you know as as the squad and as bernie you know, start uh, working very closely with Biden during the end of that campaign, getting on, I forget what he called those committees. You know, he, he put together a climate committee that had like somebody from Sunrise and AOC on it and other committees helping to staff the thing that Bernie was you know, very, you know, integral in because he endorsed Biden within like two days in order to like get that going. Mm -hmm. And and then, yeah, and then it got, it got darker and the gap got wider after that. I think, I think that, I think that's, I think that's totally accurate. I, I have, I've like lamented that. And that's one reason that I like constantly uh, engage, despite the fact that it brings me nothing but grief, like all day, uh, because I, I don't want there to be such a gap. And I want, I want there to be at least an understanding on both sides of what, what the different sides are, are saying. Yeah, I think it's just that the problem that what I've seen, at least in the, the Twitterverse, the problem that a lot of us see, though, is that it seems like every time we try to uh, critique them, you come in pretty, pretty quickly uh, to defend them, at, at least on Twitter. And I think what a lot of us would want from you is to some of those same things that you just said here tonight and some of the same things that you said on like Breeze Call-In, we would like for you to say those things to them because you're the one that has access to them. We don't. And it just seems like you're kind of there to run cover for them. And as long as people like you keep defending them, they're not going to be held accountable and they're not going to change. They're not feeling that pressure because they can easily ignore or avoid us. But when the people who have access to them don't push back on them or say, no, you guys are not doing your job, that would be different, I think. Don't I have... Uh you know, set, you know, urged a, a bunch of them to like, uh, try to appear on independent media. Um, and I don't mean me like, a, um, and I've, and I've said that publicly, I've said that privately, like, like I, I, I have, I have pushed them to do that. Uh, and what did they say uh, about that, Ryan? You know, there, there's all, and you can ask Bree about this. Like, I, I think, um, I was getting, I was getting, as she said, I was getting, we were getting close um with one of them um that probably you know we'll we'll see we'll see how that goes um because i because i think it i think what's the harm like what right how like what could go wrong like how bad is it going to get it's not gonna get worse how, i mean maybe we'll maybe it could get worse but i don't know what that looks like so yeah so i've 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 done that and if i disagree with them i'll hit them like on the capitol police stuff the iron dome dome stuff but if but when I see, but if I see, but if I think that people are misunderstanding what's going on, I don't mind jumping in, even though I know I'm going to get my head bitten off. I like, that's, it's fine. And like, so in this, this case, and often I don't quite realize like 
what I'm jumping into, but I don't mind anyway. Like in this case, I saw a lot of people being like, why on earth would they do this? Why? Like, why would they do that? And so I'm like, so, and so then I realized like, oh, I haven't, like people don't realize that these union, rank and file union folks have been like pushing the strategy all week. I'd been reporting on it all week. I've been talking to the workers all week. I knew that. I'm like, so I'm going to, I'm going to share this context because people are asking why. Now, some people are like, well, I don't care why. It's just wrong on principle for any reason to have cast that vote. And that's a respectable principled position to take. Uh, other people are like, why'd you do this? Here's why, here's why they did this. So, uh, yeah, like I, I, you know, I hope that, um, I hope there is more engagement, you know, going, going forward. We'll like, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I think we should let them explain why they voted the way that they did, you know, because otherwise you end up looking like their defender. Uh, I noticed that AOC did respond uh, to like one of your tweets. But again, notice she only responded to you. Like, that's the thing. You know, uh, what about all the people who canvassed for AOC? What about all the people who phone bank for her? What about all the money that a lot of us donated to AOC and, and the rest of them? I mean, they can't just continue to pretend like we were we're the reason why they're right. in office because we did the groundwork. And so I think, I think when you have like these activities on the outside, cause I always say you still need that pressure from the outside, right? Oftentimes what I have seen uh, is yourself and, and some of your comrades kind of coming down on activists for those of us trying to organize on the outside. And I'll give a couple examples, uh, force the vote straight from the DSA handbook. That is something that they are supposed to be doing in reference to Medicare for all. Chose not to do it. Not even one of them came to the town hall. They could have at least sent one. My, my students would do this thing where they'd send one representative that was going to speak for everybody to come talk to me. They could at least do that, right? So they didn't do that. Um, also, the issue here with, um, I said, force the vote. Also, the issue with uh, the general strike. So like last year um, at RBN, we hosted a general strike summit. and you did it too, Ryan. Like you and some of your colleagues came in and you guys were like criticizing us before it even happened. And the whole point of that summit was that the, was that the Medicare for all March? Well, there was that too, but we were part of that too, but everybody just came in criticizing and attacking us. And I'm like, Guys, the point of the summit is to explain to people the reason why we need a general strike. So we had activists, union organizers, all these different people come on to explain different categories as to why we would need one and things that we've tried in the past that apparently are not working. Uh, the Medicare for All March, I was going to that one as well. There are a lot of people in this space that I consider to be leftist or progressive that said they were for Medicare for All and all of a sudden they were so angry with those of us who were the activists who wanted to march for Medicare for all. It, it, it just, the gatekeeping uh, in this yeah. space, it is, it's ridiculous. And it's interesting to me because I do feel like, like people like you, you guys can come and attack activists, but you don't want to attack the politicians who are supposed to be doing what we're out on the ground doing anyway. So I just don't understand that. And yeah. I want to hear from you like about that as well. Yeah. I think, I don't think there's any chance that I attacked Medicare for all March like that. I was people want to organize a Medicare for all March. I think that's great. Like organize, organize a Medicare for all March. I would have covered it. I wasn't, uh, I was in Vermont. There was no, no Vermont Medicare for all March. 
um, where I was. I would have I would have gone and covered one if if like I was still in D.C. or if I was in a city where one was happening. I don't remember saying anything negative about the general strike. What did I do? I do I'm not saying I'm not saying <laughs> I didn't. But what did I do? You remember what I said? You said that on the lines of something um, of it of it being foolish. And that people aren't ready for this. And we weren't saying go general strike right now. Like we were just having a summit just to educate mm -hmm. and, and talk to people about it. Because I'm sorry, but you know who is having a sort of a, a general strike right now is the UK. The railroad workers mm -hmm. in the UK just went on strike mm -hmm. along with the nurses. So it's just mm -hmm. they're building across like different industries going on strike at once, which is what we were saying to do here. Uh, so it's it's not a crazy concept. I just think that people in this country especially those uh politically involved they believe the only solution is through electoral politics and i think if you look back on movements in history we would know that's not necessarily true the women's movement the civil rights movement did not happen through electoral politics so i think this is a big part of the problem it's like when we're organizing those events on the outside it doesn't look well when someone who has access to the squad and we're trying to get them to come to that event, Corey Bush was the only one who showed up to the Medicare for All March. It doesn't look good if you criticize our, our actions too, because then that's going to make them think this isn't worth their time. Yeah, I don't remember criticizing the, the general strike. I, I take your word for it though. And if I did, I was probably uh, salty about the, the force to vote stuff. If that was, if there was any proximity to that, because that, that was one that just, uh, Utter, utterly spiraled out of control in my mentions um, for for like months. Uh, so uh, I think a, I think a summit. I, I do think that people are. I think people need to understand what what's involved in not just a general strike, but even a strike. Like the, as as you saw in that story uh, about the railroad workers, like there are tons of rank and file railroad workers who their big concern is that they're not ready for a strike. They got so many conservative, disorganized, unorganized members, like they feel they're, they're worried they would lose one quickly. Um, and that there needs to be a lot of bottom up organizing to get to a place uh, where you're ready for even individual strikes, let alone your general strikes. But that doesn't mean that a summit on a general strike is a bad idea. So I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that if I if, assuming I did. I'm sure I, yeah, say, a lot, I, I say a lot. So. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, some of these things are crushed because of personality differences. Uh, we try to do ac actions and activities and people will get mad because there's a podcaster involved that for whatever reason, half the left does not like. Uh, that's that's not serious people to me because if you're trying to organize, yeah. you, can't, you can't just say, I'm not gonna, what if Chris Small said, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna do this because this person is involved and I don't get along with them. That's not how organizing works. So I think that people need to stop focusing so much on the different personalities because when you do that, then people aren't focused on, on the core problem. The, the core issue here with the railroad strike or the railroad workers uh, not going on strike is the fact that we do not have paid sick leave guaranteed for everyone in this mm -hmm. country. That is the core issue and during this time when we still have inflation homeless population has increased is continuing to increase uh even where i live in boston there are still tent communities in the winter uh people are dying people don't have health insurance and poverty has not been fixed by electoral politics and it's really upsetting to me 
that people are so willing to just throw the workers under the bus, to throw the American people under the bus in order to defend their favorite politician who's a member of the squad. That I can't have. Like that I won't do. I will not defend, jump in and defend politicians because they're really supposed to be working for the people. But obviously we see that's not so much happening. But it's gotten to the point now where I think a lot of these, the squad members, they were put on such a pedestal when they were running for office that now it's like, if you criticize them, you're a bad person, you're evil, you're a right winger or whatever. I'm like, no, like they took money from working class people, Ryan. I, I was on the ground. I saw them take money from people who really didn't have it to give. And for them to just sell us out like that, I'm going to be vocal about that because that's not right. I just feel like, I feel like in this case with, with the rail workers, I don't, I don't think that they betrayed anybody. I don't think that they sold anybody out like, and, and, but, but I do think it's, I think there's plenty of permission to like attack them. I don't like, do you sense that if you criticize them, you get called like a, right winger or whatever, maybe we're all more sensitive to our negative mentions and negative replies and negative comments and negative feedback than we are sensitive to the, to the positive. But I, I, I sense that you're in a large community of people. Um, if you're, if you're criticizing the squad today, like there's no, I don't see any shortage of like allies online, at least in, in that thing. But I, I just think, I just genuinely don't think that what they did as part of this was, was a betrayal of the of the rail workers. It's a betrayal of their principles if they're members of DSA and if they're Justice Democrats because you're not supposed to break up strikes. Yeah, that's and that, that that's something for DSA to sort out. You know, they, Jamal Bowman um, got got caught up in a big argument among DSA members who they they wanted to boot him for uh, was it the Iron Dome vote? And yeah. then, but then also, I, this this is where it gets weird. Like. He he visited uh, Israel with was it J Street or some kind of progressive organ, Jewish organization right. might have been J Street, and they wanted to kick him out for that. And it's like, well, you, I mean, if you're meeting with like re- resistance activists and like seeing like the occupation up front, like kick him out for that. I think if they wanted, to, I think if they wanted to kick him out for the uh, like the you know, voting for like military spending, um, that they would certainly be within their rights to do that. But then there's this entire faction within DSA, which seems to have won that argument that says, no, it's more valuable for him to be in DSA. And, you know, so then you get caught up in those arguments that are as old as time. Right. Or Or as old as the left, at least. Right. And at this, and I think what I've seen happen is that because they're not doing these things, you know what's happening? People are pulling themselves away from DSA. DSA is losing members. Uh, people are leaving the left and they're going towards the right. I know people this time around had never voted Republican and they voted Republican. Uh, the Democratic Party, and I think David Sirota mentioned this. I have to I have to pull up that article. But David Sirota, I believe, was the one that mentioned recently African-Americans leaving the Democratic Party, uh, choosing to vote Republican, uh, particularly African-American men, uh, by the way. And so mm-hmm. this is the, this is the problem when we have people like like AOC and, and the squad that get in and they said, like, yeah, we're this is going to be like the left Tea party. And they see them just go along with uh, Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, like these corporate Democrats. 
Well, then the black working class is like, oh, hell no. I might as well vote for the right. And so that this is the problem that's happening. It's pulling people away from mm -hmm. the left and making some people vote Republican. Which is which predates them. Like you first you started seeing it, what, 2016? And I think actually to, curious for your take on this. I think it, you were started seeing it trend in that direction, maybe starting in the 2010s. Uh, but because uh, Obama was president in, in, in election years, you still had the same level of black male support for Democrats that you had, you know, in, in previous cycles, but then you take Obama off the, off the ballot. A lot of, a lot of people stay home in 2016 uh, and, and some also switched over to Trump. Uh, so, and so this, this is definitely something that's been happening. I think, I think part of it is the idea that Democrats were ever going to keep like 90 plus percent of any demographic forever for a very long is, is like defies kind of political gravity. The black church was as for so long been, as I'm sure, you know, a, a real driver, not just of like getting out the vote, but of building community around the fact that you're a Democrat. And that's for a lot of young people, young men in particular, you know, that's, that's disintegrating. And, and so people are, then I think going to just m vote more like everybody else and start and start sorting around. And so if, if I think you're right, if Democrats can't find a, a galvanizing force to say, Oh yeah. Oh, that's what I believe in. Um, then, then yeah, they're going to, then they're going to be, they're going to be shedding, shedding people. Yeah. Abandoning uh, working class people. And, and I think, it just, I mean, and, granted, this time around, I think Roe v. Wade, uh, that brought some people out was Roe v. Mm -hmm. Wade and canceling part of the student loan debt. But see, even that, even that, that wasn't locked, done right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. They should have gotten that through Congress. Yeah. It just. They could have gotten it through Congress if they would have done it through the IRA. Um, you know, they, they could, they could have gotten that done legislatively and then a judge can't, and then a judge can't block it. But yeah, they did. Well, he was told last year, uh, February last year was when it was Elizabeth Warren, Chuck Schumer, and Iona Presley. They were the ones that brought this forward. And I, I read through all of this. They specifically told him do, to do it through the Higher Education Act. And he did it through, um, shoot, forget the name of it. But he didn't do it through the Higher Education right. Act. He did it through the, it was the COVID uh, the COVID uh, mm -hmm. policy. And you can't use that now because we're not in a state of emergency right. yeah. anymore. Right. So yeah. obviously it was going to get struck down, but if he would have done it the way that he was told to do it, we wouldn't have been in this situation. So when I say things like, man, maybe he just did this to set it up to fail. It's just because I'm following the dots, like of what he was told to do and how he chose to do it instead. And, and even with this issue here with Russia and Ukraine, I mean, this is too much. Uh, how much more money are they going to send to Ukraine? They, and it's not just weapons. They've been sending them in these packages include healthcare and clean water. We don't have that for everybody here in this country, but they're sending it to people in another country. So that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. There's just not, when it comes to like the working class, we have been forgotten about. Like a lot of people just, they don't care anymore. And it's not right. It's not fair. And it almost just kind of feels like, the politicians that we put in that 
they said they were going to fight for the working class people. They don't seem to care about working class people anymore either. Mm -hmm. They're in. And so I think when you have people that are, are progressive, so to speak, right, when they get into D.C. and they betray like the rest of us, it really makes the whole movement look bad. We were talking about Kirsten Cinema last night. Did you know Kirsten Cinema used to be a progressive politician? She was like an anarchist activist. Yeah, yeah. she was she was like code pink. She was in a, an affinity group, like protesting yeah. like presidential conventions. She was she was hardcore. She was yeah. That's right. And then she was Green Party. Yep. Um, and then she's just been on ice straight across. Yeah. That's right. She got into D.C. and and then she changed. So it's a, a big part. That's a she big part of the problem. She changed in what at Phoenix. What's the capital? My daughter would know this. What's the capital of Arizona? When she like from what I heard, when she was a state lawmaker, she already she was already starting to shed that. Like yeah, well, um, not not as is, bad which as is, she is which now, is great. Yeah. No, not as bad. But that's like when it began, which is even crazier because the Republicans in Arizona back then complete nut job, like insane people like if you remember those were the ones that were really the tip of the spear on the anti-immigration stuff um mm -hmm. just in total like uh right-wing psychos and so she got into the legislature with them and was like oh that that looks reasonable and yeah, she, yeah she's been on a guide path since then yeah, shout out to Bree. Bree's here in the chat. Uh, he could have done it by executive order immediately, and a judge also wouldn't have been able to block it. So that's another thing. Like, I think, you know, Joe Biden knew what he he could have done, and it's just, we, we see what's really happening here. But I think when we're looking at strategy going forward, at this point in time, based on everything that's happened, do you feel putting progressives through the Democratic Party is still the best strategy? I do, and, and I understand that there's a huge audience that thinks that that's thinks that's that 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 is crazy but you know if if you look at what happened over the last couple of years uh including you know 350 billion dollars you know if, in, in climate money yes lots of a lot of it um you know also mansion got some of the things that he wanted in that that's absolutely true mm -hmm. uh but without the the kind of left greens the sunrise movement uh some of the some of the justice Democrats getting elected and like kind of forcing the green new deal onto the presidential, uh, into the presidential campaign where you get almost every Democrat endorsing it. The only one that didn't was Biden, but then Biden's kind of actual green, uh, climate agenda that he ran on looked very similar to the green new deal. And then you, and then you get hundreds of billions of dollars for, for climate. Like that's, that's not nothing. Plus, you know, this, the green bank that they created, um, could end up being leveraged into the whole thing could be leveraged into trillions of dollars over the next 10 years in, in, in climate spending American rescue plan that by that, that Bernie, uh, you know, forced, uh, $600 a week, extra unemployment into, um, uh, the $300 checks that, you know, $300 monthly childcare checks, which then mansion, you know, forced to end. Um, there's a lot of other, you know, good stuff in that inflation reduction act. Um, is will Biden, um, under pressure, take marijuana out of schedule one in the next year or two? Like he, he, when he did the, um, when he did the pot, uh, like pardons, 
he also instructed the uh the da or whoever to like do explore whether it should be taken out of schedule one which if you do that then pot shops can get access to banking services like you know will there be progress made on like psychedelics and and uh, you know other kind of therapeutics in the in the drug space like there's a there's a lot of th things that i think are moving in an okay direction while the whole world is also collapsing at the same time so i still think it's i still think that there are gains to be made um by fighting i think but i th also think people should fight inside the republican party like i don't think it's i don't th i think a mistake a lot of people make is to just ignore republicans they're becoming much more susceptible to pro-worker arguments because their rhetoric is so far in front of where they are. There's th this massive gap between what they say they stand for and the fact that they're now getting 50% of the working class and what they actually do. Like that gap is space for activists uh, to, to, uh, to, to really like push them in, in that direction. Um, so, it doesn't mean just focus on Democratic Party. Like all, you know, the entire system needs to be needs to be pushed. Well, I don't think they're really in reference to like the Green New Deal, for example, that came from the Green Party and the Democrats watered mm -hmm. it down compared to what the Green Party had uh, when it comes to some of those those. Um, and also, yeah, I'm not the like child, the, the child care and stuff like that, like. I don't have kids, so that didn't help me at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's things like that, and I think that like those examples that you mentioned to me, it might it might have helped you if uh, if some parents could afford childcare, and then those parents could go out and work and do stuff for you and for other people to, that grew the economy. Like that might have been, like, yeah, helpful. but. Yeah, but those examples, those examples aren't big to me. Like those are just crumbs. They could have done so much more. When it came to even the stimulus checks, they should have given people monthly recurring stimulus checks uh, during that time. They weren't going to go that far, but they can increase the defense budget. So mm -hmm. the money is there. They just don't want to give it to us per se. Uh, I, I disagree. Obviously, I'm sure you know. I, I don't agree with the the strategy of putting progressives to the Democratic Party. Uh, I think. I'm looking at how can we pass progressive policies uh, fast and uh, and make them more effective. And I've only seen that happen so far on the local level. And it's not just yeah. blue states like mine. It's also red states. South Carolina expanded uh, Medicaid. Nebraska passed $15 minimum wage. We can't even get the Senate uh, in D.C. to pass the $15 minimum wage, not to mention there were seven Democrats and one independent that voted against it. So when I look at the progressive policies, these things are passing on the local level. Uh, Oregon decriminalized all drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Massachusetts, we passed 15 uh, minimum wage years ago. Uh, last year, we passed uh, paid family leave for everybody in the state. We just passed the millionaire tax that Bernie Sanders used to talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. These things are happening on the local level. And I honestly think people like the squad would have been more effective on the local level in their districts than they are in DC at this time. So that's my question. Why is, is the majority of Americans that is uh, participating in electoral politics, why is everybody focused on what can happen on the national level, especially if you live in a ballot initiative state, why aren't people mm -hmm. organizing uh, on the local level and getting these things passed uh, locally? North Dakota, 
would be a great state for Medicare for all to get that started because they have a public bank. So when people mm -hmm. come to me and they say, oh, if you pass single hair, uh, single payer in the state, it doesn't matter because the federal government can come in and shut it down and say, no, you, we don't have the funding. You get around that by having a public bank. So these are the kind of things I feel we should be talking about more. Like, why are people doing this stuff locally? Like, we do it in Massachusetts. Yeah. That's why we got a lot of these things. But this idea that it's going to be on the federal level, uh, all or nothing, is not getting us anywhere. Yeah, I, I wrote a fun story recently about how uh, Dunn County, Wisconsin, passed a, a kind of, which voted for Trump by like 15 points passed a resolution uh, calling for single payer health care nationally. Like there, mm -hmm. like e even if you can't enact policy, you can express yourself in, in like a shocking kind of way in ballot initiatives like that. I think, I think people, I think that's a great way to spend people's energy. I, I, I don't, the answer to your question is probably there's more drama in, in the, in the national stuff and the federal stuff. The personalities are bigger. People, people are following the storylines. Um, but, but, and, and it is important because A, there's so much money at the federal level that's getting fought over. B, uh, the federal level can undo so much of what goes on at the state level. If you look at like um, what say Georgia Republicans do or, and, and constantly try to do uh, to, to blue cities like Atlanta and elsewhere, like, you know, just saying like, you can't pass minimum, like text, look at Texas. Like they, they'll tell Houston, you can't do this. Or you, and they'll tell these other, they'll tell all these towns like what they can and cannot do, like which is utterly hypocritical because Republicans are supposed to be all about local control. Uh, but when they get power in the state government, then they tell the cities that they can't, they can't actually enact any any laws. I live here in Washington D.C. Um, we only, you know, our own laws have to go through Congress. Basically, Congress has to like right. they can they can veto anything they want, and, they, and we pass some great stuff that Congress is like, be like, no. And, and, and the Congressman, it'll be somebody from, you know, Kansas, um, who's saying, who's like rejecting it. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I think the more focus on that, the better. And also that, then that, that, that trains people, um, and teaches them skills that they can take wherever they want. Like if they decide they want to move up, yeah, I mean, it's in what you said about D.C., that actually pushes the point for D.C. statehood because you guys sure can't make yeah. those de those decisions. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's another thing. They should have done that on day one. Yeah. They'd have yeah. two more senators. Yeah, no, it's 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 100 percent, too. But I think I just wanted to explain, like, where we're coming from, because I think sometimes people just see us as contrarian or like we're just. A doomsday people or whatever. I just want to be honest with people in the fact that if you don't get corporate money out of politics, out of electoral politics, we'll keep running into this issue over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a big problem because there are, it's true, the majority of the congressmen uh, and, and senators, they are corporate. They do take corporate money. And so what are you, what are you going to do when both of those parties are owned by Wall Street? If we didn't have corporate money in politics, we would probably already have Medicare for all in this mm -hmm. country. It's it's oh, embarrassing, sure. you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Just to do Obamacare, Obama, you know, cut all these deals with these giant industrial groups. Like, 
yeah, it's yes. Doing anything in Washington um, runs you up against just enormous amounts of corporate power. Right. So by yeah. then saying that, within saying that, you still think it's good to have progressives go through the Democratic Party. Because I mean, that it, it, if 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 tomorrow the Democratic Party gets replaced, that's great. Um, fine, like do that. Like that. That to me, that's that's kind of secondary because like you said, like the structures and the corporate power that produce the outcome that, that we have are, that's coming from corporate power, not coming from like, you know, the, the parties are like the parasites and the corporate power is the host. Like, so if you change the names of the parties, but you still have a bunch of corporate influence in Washington, the, the new parties are going to become just like the old parties. That's that, that because of our, that doesn't, and you know, a third party that like pressures Democrats uh, to move to the left, it can be, a, can be an effective thing. Um, but a third party that took over for the Democrats without changing the kind of you know, fundamental structures that make up our politics would just become like the Democrats within like a year. What it was that, what's that Bakunin quote where he's like, if, uh, you know, if the most ardent revolutionary took power in a year, he'd be worse than the czar. If you don't change the kind of structures. I think one of the ways to change the, the structures and I, I'll, I'll end with this, um, I love the fact that people are trying to unionize across this country. I think it's it's great for like labor movement. Uh, at the same time, I will add, I think that should not be the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal should be worker co-ops. And if we have more people push these unions into worker co-ops, and that was one of the things with the railroad. I think at one point they were trying to um, they were trying to make that public and not uh, mm -hmm. privatized. Mm -hmm. uh, if we have more people participating in worker co-ops. That's how you can break that cycle. You know, and we're so we're so dependent, uh, I think, uh, on our employer with a lot of our employers and we don't own anything. Most of us that work, we don't own a piece of the company. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where we really need to move towards is is worker co-ops. Yeah, sounds good to me. Sounds All good right. To me. Well, Ryan, great, yeah, great to ahead. chat with you. Thanks so much for coming on. I hope I wasn't too harsh. <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, yeah, happy to happy to happy to talk whenever you want. It's uh, it's it's part of the, comes with the territory. It's okay, and you know, I I I'm 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 gonna make mistakes, and if I do, people need to criticize me for them. If I don't think I made a mistake, I'm gonna tell people I didn't, even if, uh, even if they're convinced that I did. But sometimes, like you know what, you're right. I did get that wrong. I don't think I did this time though. All right. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Yep, you got it. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.